From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 212. Today's show is brought to you by Pingdom, PDF Pem from Smile, and Eero. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Jason Snell. Hi, Jason Snell. Hi, Mike Hurley. It's the temperature in Fahrenheit at which water boils, and it's the area code of New York City. It's good old 212. Great. <laughs> Thanks. Is this your new thing now? Like a number fact at the beginning of uh, every me- episode? Number- Actually, yeah. Uh, let's, uh, we're going to have a new, we're going to have a little uh, Chris Breen uh, stinger that we're going to drop in that's going to be like, upgrade number fact. Boo. You just, you just did it. You just did it. Our hashtag question this week <laughs> came in from many people, but Magnus was the first. Jason, Magnus wants to know, where is your dock located on your Macintosh? Um, I I did ask for this, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And I was surprised on Accidental Tech Podcast a few weeks ago that uh, I was reminded, I think I knew this before, that John Syracuse was, was uh, like me in this way, I believe. I am a right-hand dock person. And I used to be, before they took the feature away, a pinned at the bottom right-hand dock person, where the dock would be in the bottom right corner and grow up from there. Um, and why the reason why is kind of lost to history, other than to say that I am one of those people who feels that there's way more um, extra space left to right on my screens than there is top to bottom, and that I I just have for a long time now run it on the right side um and therefore that's where it goes that's i'm a doc on doc on right person and not hidden um not hidden no magnification do you have any stacks or folders or anything in the doc i so what i have is i'm experimenting right now just in the last couple of days with this mojave feature where it actually puts recent apps in the doc oh like the ipad yeah which is also nice because it it distinguishes between running apps in the doc that are not normally in the dock. They they live in that same space. Oh, nice. So, like, I don't have Skype in my dock. And when I launch Skype, you know, it goes in the dock. But now, right now, Skype and Audio Hijack and my IRC client are all in the dock, but they're in that other section of, like, apps that aren't normally over here. I'm super surprised to hear that those three applications are not in your dock, considering you must use them multiple times a day every single day. I use them specifically for these tasks, and I just launch them with LaunchBar, or if I, when I get my act together, um, something like uh, Keeper Maestro to sort of make it even simpler. But mm. uh, no, I don't keep those in my dock because I want my dock to be tidy. I don't have that many apps in my dock. I've only got like eight apps in my dock. Um, so, mm. so yeah, so I'm using that right now. I do have, I have a also in that dock um, a link to to um, screen share with my server my Mac mini server. So I can click on that and then its window appears, which is very convenient because um, that is otherwise a multi-step process where you have to connect to the server and all that. And so I made a shortcut for that. Um, and then I've got a, yeah, my downloads folder and my Dropbox folder are in there too. As, and formatted as stacks. Yeah. I like stacks. That's like a, a, it's a good feature. I always use that. I love the downloads. It's, it was a great feature to put downloads in there. I haven't played around with Mojave yet, but I really don't think that anyone's going to use the desktop stacks feature. I, I just don't. It is solving a problem for people that don't want the problem to be solved, I think. Right? Potentially. Like, I mean, some people are just hopelessly, disastrously messy, and it might help them because they, they don't have to do anything and organization happens. I am a little disappointed with um the decisions they made about what stacks get created because like 
I had the other day I had like four PDFs out on my desktop. And when I went into desktop stacks mode, it just threw them in this other folder. Oh, I'm see. like, guys, yeah. I got I got P- I got a bunch of PDFs. Why don't you make a PDFs thing? No, that's not a thing that they want to do. So I don't I don't get that. Um, that's a little frustrating. But I, I I see your point. Like I think fundamentally the issue is like like the one that gets me is um, I was listening to Stephen talk about this on Connected last week uh, that you can also do it organize it by tags, and I was trying to imagine the person who tags all their files, but doesn't organize them. Like, who is that person who every file gets tagged, but then they just throw them on the desktop desktop. and they're like, whatever, I don't care. I've done all I need to do. Who is that person? Right? So that'll work now with this, that you can do it that way. That's great. But who, who is the person who is so devoted to to tagging things and yet does not care about filing things i don't i don't understand that if you are that person please write in because i have some questions for you (laughs) we have a lot of questions we may send you may refer you to someone um yeah so we'll we'll see we'll see how people use it but i do think there are people who have basically declared uh desktop bankruptcy and might get their desktop back a little bit sure um I, like I changed, I used to, I got a lot of crap on the internet when I would post screenshots and people would be like, look at all that stuff you've got unorganized on your desktop. And it's like, my desktop's kind of like my inbox. I use it. But I did after that, the most recent time, I did actually change so that my desktop is now sorted by name, which basically means it's on a grid and mm. uh, I can't drag something and have it just float randomly. It goes on the right side and in kind of a grid yeah. and an order. Um, and that was that. Was, I was like, okay, all right, I'll do that, and and I actually have liked that. So I can see somebody in an even more uh, precarious situation than I was saying, oh, yes, turn on stacks because at least then there it, it seems like there's some order to the chaos. So the problem I have with stacks is that then you look in like an open or save dialog box and you just see the whole mess. Like the stacks, oh. stacks don't become virtual folders or something. They're mm. just in Finder. So yeah. every other place you look in the desktop, it's a disaster still. Yes, yeah, I feel like that would break my kind of mental model of how things are arranged. Yeah, no, it's it's weird. And then the other thing about stacks, since we're, this is like a little mini Mojave check in here in Snell Talk, but um, when you click on an item in a, you click on a stack and it opens and it pushes everything around on the screen, which is weird. I wish it opened in a floater instead. But then you click if you if you um like you can scroll through items in a stack, which is great. Yeah. And then you click on the item that you want, and you can then you can like double click it. You can drag it somewhere, or you can hit spacebar and open Quick Look, which is great. Except the moment you move your your cursor out of where it's hovering over that file, it goes back to just being a stack. So, like, you open it in Quick Look, and you're like, "Oh yeah, I want to, I don't know, move to the next page, or press play, or whatever. I want to interact with it in Quick Look in any way." You move your mouse, it goes, "Boop!" It's gone. Mm. <laughs> like this doesn't. This is not entirely well thought out. So there there are issues there. But anyway. Uh, to answer Magnus's question and everybody else's question, right-hand dock, I don't know why. It's for a long time. I wouldn't change it now. The only issue I have with the right-hand dock is that if I'm in a situation where I want to uh, play around with having a second monitor, it is the worst if I want the second monitor to be on the right. Because what Mac OS X or Mac OS does is um, if you if you right dock, obviously it puts it at the farthest right mm-hmm. point, mm-hmm. which means that now that my dock, if I have a second monitor to the right, now my dock is like... I can't be found. It's just so far, so far to the east that it can't be spotted by telescopes. So that's no good. 
that is that is a real downside of having the dock on the right that has bitten me every now and then in the last 15 years but other than that i like it on the right that's where i think of it um i think a lot of people are like this where um geography on my screen is like one of the ways that i keep things together like i i keep certain apps in certain places and i keep the dock where it is because i'm used to it there yeah i am a uh, left hand side dock person just uh, you're left-handed too aren't you yeah but that doesn't I don't really feel like that makes a difference. Uh, that's not the reason? Okay, all right. Well, because I've always, I use a mouse with my right hand. Oh, okay. Interesting. So, I mean, you know, my Wacom tablet, obviously I use with my left hand, but before I got the Wacom, so for basically all of my computing life, I was navigating with my right hand. I am, yeah. I, I think, slightly ambidextrous in that I write with my left hand, but my right hand is, is my dominant hand. It's just not so good at fine skills. It's kind of a little bit peculiar. I, I don't really know why I'm built this way, Jason, but that's kind of just mostly the story of just me yeah. as a human why why does mike do things the way he does nobody really nobody knows. knows no that's i feel like one of the things we do in this podcast is we explain that we do things a certain way and then everybody asks why and we have no good answers no, there that. is no reason <laughs> no but i i feel a, an affinity with people with side docks because i feel like side dock makes more sense to me than the than the lower dock and and in occasionally when i put have a, a system with a dock down i immediately hide it um sure. and that that is okay but i i still don't i don't like hiding stuff i like i want the menu bar to be there always i want the dock to be there always i just i prefer that thank you so much to magnus uh for snell talk suggestion you can just send in a tweet with the hashtag snell talk and it can be something to open the show you're clearly seeing there could be a potential theme here so maybe you want to keep going down that route or you can send in absolutely anything you want hashtag snell talk um I didn't necessarily have this in the document for today because we have a pretty packed show talking about new hardware, but macOS Mojave is coming out today. So do you have any like real quick thing you want to say about it? It's Mojave Day. Yeah, I mean, we should talk about it sometime. I know it's not the most exciting uh, subject for you. Well, no, no. I mean, it's fine. I mean, honestly, I just I don't think that like mac os releases are, are typically incredibly exciting now like, there's interesting yeah. stuff that happens in them but i mean like and we, dark and we've mode talked and about it stacks. We, yeah we talked about it when it came out I, I that's the so i'll say my experience on running the beta and i've definitely heard people on podcasts including you and steven talk about this like i found the mojave beta after uh for the last month or two to be incredibly stable good i've been using it there was a period where i was rebooting or using a different computer to do podcasts after Uh i installed it on my imac pro because it was not stable enough and um that went away within a few weeks and i've been using i've been a hundred percent on mojave for the last maybe six weeks Mm -hmm. And it is, and no, well, I was going to say no problems. It's, it is no, no more problems than on High Sierra. Sure, Let's put it that sure. way. Like I, ha- there are still some weird USB quirks with the USB pre two, my audio interface that are no different than they were before. Um, all the software got updated. Uh, the software I use all got updated to work with Mojave and all works fine. Audio hijack and loop back and things like that. Um, so I've been very happy with the stability of it. I, uh, let's see what else. I we talked about the desktop stack stuff. I don't like dark mode. Okay. Um, mostly because the world doesn't know that dark mode is a thing yet. I feel like dark mode will be good when all apps and websites <laughs> w- understand that computers can have a dark mode. Mm-hmm. Um, because right now, what happens is. 
and, and Apple has made no attempts to kind of override here, which surprises me a little bit. Like, you can be in dark mode, and if you've got just apps that are using dark themes, everything's pretty good. And then you open a web page, and the web page assumes you want a white background and black text. Right. And you get this huge, blinding white rectangle, and it's no good. And similarly, in mail, if you open a mail message that's an HTML mail message, uh, it'll have a background color set and... Uh, I, I'm a little surprised that Apple hasn't made an attempt. First off, that Apple hasn't proposed a, a CSS thing for websites that basically says, here's how you detect that we're in dark mode. Um, there are some proposals out there. Um, I'm, I'm just I'm a little surprised that Apple hasn't been more forward with that with WebKit to say, uh, hey, people who want to support Mojave dark mode on Macs. Here's how you do it on your website. They, that doesn't seem to have happened yet, although there's stuff going around. Maybe it will happen. Um and nor has Apple made an attempt to do something like optionally like smart invert colors, which they have on iOS, which basically inverts the text and background of a page, but not the content, which is essentially a way to get dark mode when there isn't a dark mode. If you're reading at night on an iPad and it's an article on a website that's white background and black text, you can go into smart invert colors mode and the pictures don't invert and get look weird but the text in the background does like they didn't make any attempt to do that or to do any sort of detection about like well we're on this super light web page but you're in dark mode so maybe we should uh sort of remap these things to an inverse they just leave it which i understand like well it's their website design we'll leave it but it kind of ruins dark mode to have so much stuff that just assumes that you are working in a light mode and Mm -hmm. Um, so every time I've tried dark mode in Mojave, I, I can't, even when I said this week, I was like, all right, I'm just going to use it for a few days. I lasted like an hour and I was like, I can't do this. I just can't do this. It, 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 it's too much of a mishmash and it's not Apple's fault in a way, but Apple has also not tried to mitigate a bunch of these places where, you know, the reality is that, that the assumption is not dark mode. And I mean, you and I are sitting here and, uh, in a Google Doc right now, right? That that in dark mode would be a disaster. nightmare. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's right. And, and there's no. And again, you know, Windows 10 has a dark mode. I mean, it would not surprise me if in a few years, everybody who who does all this stuff has an affordance for your uh, computing environment theming. <laughs> in some way, even if it's just as simple as light and dark, and adapts. But the fact is, if you want to use dark mode today, I, I just don't think it's very good. Now, maybe if you've got a very specific set of apps and you're not worried about web pages and mail and stuff, then it may make you very happy, and that's great. But for me, I found it, the way the apps I use and uh, the web content that I see, it's basically unusable. Have you thought about adding like a, a dark mode option to six colors? If I knew how to do it, and and Apple had offered that as a sort of a standard thing that you could do in Safari on Mojave. Right. Mojave I would absolutely have done right. it already. I, I looked when this came out. I was like, how do I make a dark mode version of six color? Can't can't do it. So right. unless you manually did it, right? Yeah, I could make a mode that you could click and switch to and all of that. But that seems kind of ridiculous. I don't think I'm going to do that. But Anyway, so there's that. And then and then my last thing about Mojave is the four new apps are there. And basically, um, I'm glad that HomeKit support is there in the Home app. Um, I don't think the Home app is very interesting, but it's also a very simple app. I think Apple News, I think, again, if you're somebody who likes Apple News on other um, iOS devices, being able to get it on the Mac is nice. Um, as apps, 
I think they're really bad. And they're, they're lousy Mac apps. And there are embarrassingly bad failures to convert them to be Mac apps from iOS apps, including the worst one being when you're scheduling something in the home app and you get the spinner for setting time. And you can kind of click through it or you can hover your cursor over it and like scroll on your trackpad um, in this modal window that's in the middle of this other window because it's not really Windows. It's a single window interface. Um, And it's early and the functionality being on the Mac is good, but it is I, I just they got a lot of work to do before they hand this stuff over to developers if they if their vision really is that these things are going to be mac apps and i hope that's their vision because the alternative is that their vision is the future of the mac is just apps that behave like ios apps and that's just how it is and i I have a problem with that because i don't think it i don't think it works unless they're making even more changes to the platform where you know after a couple of years we're all using touchscreen Macs and and then all of these touch interfaces make sense. But I, I just, there's a lot more work to do. This is why they didn't give it to third-party developers this year. But I can't let it go and say, yay, news and stocks and and uh, voice, voice memos and uh, home are on the Mac. It's like, yes, I'm happy for the functionality, but they're not very good. Like the news interface is kind of a, a mess. Yeah, it's better than it was at the beginning of the beta because they added some menu items in to do things that were previously um, sort of happening within the interface only. But really, you know, the menu bars are perfunctory. Um, the interface is weird. You've got arrow buttons in weird places. The keyboard shortcuts when they exist are strange. It's just not, it's not a great experience. And I'm glad that they're there because they add functionality. But um, when you think of Mojave as half of an operating system that is fresh coat of paint, a bunch of new stuff. I like the new accent colors. That's great. They should have done that in OS 10, 10.4. They waited until now to let you say, oh, how about orange, right? They, they, I'm great. Finally, they did that. I like that Apple is showing like they actually are thinking about what they want the Mac to be and adding features, like Steven said on Connected last week, adding features that are not just for iOS synchrony, but like features that are about the Mac, like Finder features. That all is great. So that's that's about the present and making the Mac something different. And I think that's great. But the other half of Mojave is the story about where is it going with all of these iOS-based apps that are going to become Mac apps next year, presumably. And, you know, it, it is what we've got is not they're fine, but they're not very good. And it gives me some concern about, you know, the work that Apple has to do over the next year to make it so that those apps are decent because my, the, the, the bad scenario here is that like literally next year, yeah, you can run iOS apps on the Mac and they're all just very clearly just iOS apps and they're weird. And they, they, it's almost like you're using virtualization or something. There's just a weird iOS mode that some things are in. They don't talk to Mac apps. They don't behave like Mac apps. You have to say, what kind of app is this every time you open an app? And that's not, that's not a good experience. So um, there's a lot going on here. And again, I'm going to give Apple the benefit of the doubt that, that they will hopefully do that right thing next year. Um, but I don't look at the, I don't look at the news app and say, aha, I am, uh, I am completely confident that we'll get there in the next year. It's more like, mm, they got to do better than this. Now they got a year to do it. So 
um, or at least I guess what nine months to get to to WWDC next year, um, and we'll see. Apple is sometimes Apple. They only said next year, right? They could wait until uh, December or even delay it further if they don't if it's not ready. But um, it's going to be a huge change for the Mac, and they need to do it right. And uh, what we get in Mojave is just a little toe in the water, and uh, we'll see where it goes from there. But I don't I don't love those apps. I'm I'm happy that they're there, but I don't think they're I don't think they're great. Yeah, it's, it is interesting. Like the, the general consensus seems to be that they're bad, and and I understand that like this is the beginning of a process. But Apple's not really calling this a beta or anything, right? Which I'm surprised that they're not all called like home beta and use beta. Like they're being kind of shipped as if they're finished. Yeah, this goes back to the conversation we had back in June, which is why even announce it this way. And I think the answer is one: the existence of Steve Trouton Smith. <laughs> yeah, as yeah, a they human had being, to say it if they were going to ship and, them. and everybody like him. There's nobody like him, but you know, th- th- it would have been clear very soon upon the release of of the first Mojave beta that these four new apps that Apple extolled on stage are actually iOS apps. Right? It would have been clear. Everybody would have known. They, you just look at them, you can tell. Right? Mm-hmm. So how could you not say anything? And it is a developer conference. It allows Apple to say on the record, "Hey guys." Uh, next year we're going to ask you to do this. Not this year, but think about it. Start thinking about it, which I think is good. I think it's great for developers to get that piece of information. Here's where, they never do this. Here's where Apple is going in 2019, which is they're going to give you a way to convert your iOS apps and run them on the Mac. And so many people at WWDC are iOS developers. Um, We're going to give you that next year. So start thinking now, but we don't have any tools for you now. And I think that was the right move. I think that's the right move. And the truth is, they do have a year. So what they are doing now is, um, you know, the dog fooding, right? It's they're, they're yeah. using this stuff and they're Which finding out. I, th- I think it is great because I think there is probably somebody who's responsible for news who's looking, or uh, not news, for a uh, home who's looking at that spinner in the scheduling and being like, Phew, we can't do this. This has to be better. And I'm disappointed that they didn't do that in Mojave. But I'm optimistic that sometime, perhaps in a Mojave update, and or perhaps the next next year's release, um, stuff like that that is very clearly not good enough will get addressed. Like multi-window apps is not a thing right now, uh, and it, perhaps it will be, um, and it might even be related to changes in iOS next year. Right, where if 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 iOS apps get multi-window support like Safari has now, that could be part of the same thing that allows Mac apps running based on iOS to have that. But anyway, so I mean, I, I think it's a good thing that they're doing it, um, and, and it might give them an excuse to be like, yeah, we know they're weird, but at least you can... Because the truth is, at least I can turn my lights on and off from my Mac now. <laughs> I used to sit in here with no iPhone and no iPad and be like, oh, I need to turn that... Uh, and I, I have to get up and go find an iOS device because my Mac sitting right here was incapable of doing it. So, I mean, I'm glad the home app exists. I'm glad it's tied into Siri. That's all great. It's just, you know, it does it does make you wonder what exactly the plan is for next year. 
All right, today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Eero. The folks at Eero have built the Wi-Fi system that you're going to want for your home. They will give you a fast, reliable connection in every single room, and it can even go all the way out to the backyard too. They can blanket your entire home in the Wi-Fi connection that you want. It's going to be reliable. It's going to be super fast. The Eero features three uh, 5 gigahertz radios. This is faster than it's ever been before, and it will sit flat on any surface. You just plug it into the wall with the included power adapter, then you'll be ready to connect your Eero device either via uh, wirelessly or via Ethernet. And then once you've got that one set up, if you want to extend it out to the home, you just get yourself some of these little Eero beacons. They're these tiny little things. You just plug them straight in. That's all they are. They're just basically plug sockets. You just put them straight in and that's it. The little what? What's the American term? Wall wart? Is that the American term? Uh, some people use that term, sure. Yeah, sure. Um, and then all you need to do is plug those straight into the wall. They will expand the coverage to any room, so you don't have to move to a different part of the house to get the speed that you want, because it will be super fast wherever you want it to be. Plus, those little Eero beacons—they have little night lights in them too, which is which is super cute. Having one router, look, it just doesn't work anymore because. Our homes are bigger and we have more technology and we want and we desire faster connections because we're doing more with them. Unlike light waves, Wi-Fi waves don't really go through walls very well. Like you wouldn't turn on a light bulb in the bedroom and expect that you'd be able to get some light out into the backyard maybe. Like that's no. just not that's just not how it works. It's not, and, not smart, no. No, and that's exactly the way that Wi-Fi is. And with Eero, you can install an enterprise-grade Wi-Fi system in your home in just a few minutes. And I have been to the Snell abode i've been to the jason snell yes. household and You've i know the that jason, zone is what i've been saying, in the yes. snell zone and i know that jason has a lovely uh back patio garden situation and i know that i would want to hang out there and i know that jason does and i'm sure that his Eero helps him get some wi-fi coverage out there uh yes indeed when i'm sitting out there on my uh ikea furniture and there's a story there that we'll tell next time i think um about the IKEA furniture, but the Wi-Fi is uh, is out there. I've got some connected devices that are in the backyard and also in the front of the house, and these were areas that could not be reached by my Wi-Fi before. But um, now I've got three arrows in various places, and they all talk to each other, and uh, it, and it, it's it couldn't have been easier to set them up. And now everything is covered. And I don't have a particularly big house, but there were enough connection issues to reach in the backyard that it was a problem. And now it is not a problem. It's great. If you've heard this and you want to get your new Eero straight away, you can get free overnight shipping to the U.S. or Canada when you go to Eero.com. That's E-E-R-O.com. And at checkout, you select the overnight shipping option and then enter the code UPGRADE and it will be free. So that's Eero.com, E-E-R-O.com with the promo code UPGRADE for free overnight shipping. Our thanks to Eero for their support of this show and Relay FM. I want to tell you... Um... We mentioned the Snell Zone during that ad read. People mm-hmm. who skipped the ad, you missed it. Um, and I just, just wanted to share. So for um, my wife's birthday last weekend, we did a, an escape room. Oh. Which is the first professional escape room uh-huh. I've been in. I, of course, uh-huh. have done the Ool escape rooms. And um, and we, we won. We, we got it done. And we had an hour. And we got it done in like 48 minutes. And we, st- we there was one thing that we were hung up on, or we would have been out of there in forty minutes. And it was me and Lauren and the kids that we were the team, and we did it. Everybody contributed. It was huge amounts of fun, and I recommend escape rooms. They're fun. But in the end, they give you a little thing. And they take your picture, which is great. They take your picture, and it's a little whiteboard that's it's got your what what room it was in, what your time was, and a name for your team. 
and I immediately picked it up and just wrote Snell Zone. <laughs> <laughs> Bravo. Bravo. So that is that is Team Snell Zone that escaped the escape room. Uh, but yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. So I recommend escape rooms and uh, Team Snell Zone undefeated at escape rooms. Want to know? We are channeling our inner ATP today. We're not done with follow up yet. No, no, <laughs> nope. Well, Mojave just popped out and said, "Hey, I'm coming out today. Yeah. Maybe you should talk about me." I was like, "Okay, fine, Mojave, shut up." <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, follow up. I just I feel bad for Mojave. It really, I've been writing stories this whole week about um ios and apple tv tvos releases and all that and it's always like ah this is the week where apple releases all its operating systems nope gotta restate that almost all its operating systems (laughs) mac os oh anyway last week's episode was called you will pay it was about in in part the apple pricing strategy where we talked about how apple's sort of been slowly boiling the frog and and raising the prices of iphones and raising the price of the iphone line and i just wanted to mention i did write a whole article including charts for MacWorld about it and we'll put a link in the show notes um and it is it's one of those things where it got tweeted out over the weekend by MacWorld with a question it was like um why are iPhones so expensive? And that's the worst, because then what happens is all these people who follow Macworld reply trying to helpfully answer the question. It's like, no, 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 no. Read the article. The article answers the question. <laughs> and I got all these like, well, because Apple wants to make more money. Thank you. Yep. Mm-hmm. Anyway, if you want to read words about why Apple is uh, charging more for iPhones and how they're doing it and what's happened, you can read that article. Jason, I would like to welcome the triumphant return of Upstream to the upgrade program it's yeah. been away for a few weeks because we had so much stuff to do but it's back and we have a selection of things here apple has ordered a mini series starring chris evans the captain america star will play the lead role in a in a series called defending jacob it's based on a novel by william landay it is a drama show and has been given a straight to series order um chris evans hasn't been on tv i think it says in this article since like 2010 hmm. Or something like that. Um, so, or, or since the two thousands, so two thousand, long time. Been a, so he's been coming movies, back yeah. because Apple is writing huge checks, continues to do so, and now they've landed yet another A list star for what for their upcoming TV project. Mm. Um, on that note, there was a Wall Street <laughs> Journal article that hit um, over the I think it was over the weekend. Um, talking about Apple trying to keep their content somewhat clean. The article starts off talking about a story that I know has been in an article before. Yeah. Where Tim Cook declines Dr. Dre's show. They remember those working on, you may remember they were working on a show about Dr. Dre's life. That show seems to not be happening anymore. And partly because it featured lots of sexual content and violence, which Tim Cook didn't want. Um, so the, w- the, the the Wall Street Journal is reusing this story um, along with yeah. other sources to once again state that Apple is not keen on gratuitous sexual content, violence, or strong language for their shows. They say uh, that Apple currently prefers a family-friendly approach for their programming, but they do have a small selection of shows that will veer into TVMA, so like mature content territory, right. but only a little and- bit. And you and I have talked about this and speculated about this, and I, I have with Tim Goodman over at the TV podcast I do with him, TV Talk Machine. Um, the question here, so there's a lot to unpack here. First off, this is we've heard this before. This this has got new sources saying that this is sort of what Apple's trying to do. Uh, that Apple is not, it's interesting, is not pr- 
completely going to avoid mature audience content. Yeah, I find it so strange because these articles are written in such a way where they're like, oh, prudish Apple, they're not going to do it. But there is some. They're just like, and I kind of, I think I can kind of get on, I think I'm kind of on board with this. Like, if the story calls for it, go for it. But other than that, like, just just try and keep it to a minimum. Yeah, Apple. Do- what Apple doesn't want is for all of its shows to be mature audiences only, right? Apple wants a spectrum, which, you know, it is Disney-like in that way, because, like, the Disney services are going to be like that, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in a world where Netflix has um, these Marvel shows that are t- all TVMA, <laughs> right? There are other Marvel shows on, other ch- on cable channels that are not. So it's an, this interesting thing of like, well, what do you want your mix to be of your service? Do you want it to be all TVMA? Do you want it to all not be? And it sounds like Apple is 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 pretty hands on in saying we want a range, and you know we and and that they've got a standards department that, or as it's often called, sensors that are going to be like this is what we want for this show, and this is the level we want, and that that has apparently had some conflicts with uh, some of the people they've made deals with. Um, some of the stuff is really overstated. Like they mention the uh, the amazing stories. I think. Yeah, they do. And they how they and them. how they they set they separated from the showrunner there. And what is not stated in that article is that these two things are even linked in any way. It doesn't. Like, yeah, because <laughs> Amazing Stories had a showrunner and it had a concept. And when they sold to Apple, Apple wanted it to not be as dark and mature audience as the original showrunner wanted it to be. And so that showrunner left. But that's not the case that Apple, like it, it was it was a different order. And it was like there was an original concept, but when it got sold to Apple, the concept changed and the showrunner exited. It's just a little bit different. Yep. So I think I think this could be good. I think this could be bad. I Every time I talk about this, somebody says, so I'm sure there are people out there listening who are saying this, why do you have to have violence and swearing and sex in order to make good drama? And people, those people tend to be people, not always, but tend to be people who don't want to see it, <laughs> right? And what I would say is, I think you make a good point. There ha- the, it, Network TV had great drama for many years with, with uh, broadcast standards in place, mm-hmm. right? The difference is that NBC, or not NBC, we'll get to that. Uh, Apple is competing not just with NBC and Fox and ABC and CBS. Apple is competing with Netflix and Amazon and other streaming services who potentially have no standards. They're like literally whatever. Uh, or, Or their standards are very, very limited. They're competing with them not just for audiences. You can't just think about that. They're competing them for creators, for high-profile creators, people who they think are going to be making great stuff, whether they're they are already famous or whether they're uh, they've got a great hot new property that everybody likes and thinks is going to be a hit. And the more of a reputation you get for meddling with what the creators want to do, for giving notes, for saying you can't say that, you can't show that. Yeah the more those people get turned off. Then you get a reputation. Right. And Apple can counter that with money, but only to a certain point. And and that means that Apple is now spending more to get those people than Amazon or Netflix would because they have to counter, they have to like use their money to counter the creative things. And above a certain point, a lot of these creators are going to be like, well, I can I can make a slightly cheaper deal with Netflix and have complete creative control. Or I could go to Apple 
and get a little more money, but they're going to be in my face for however long I'm doing this, changing my vision into something else. Now, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm not saying that those creative people, when put in a little bit of a box, wouldn't come up with creative solutions that mean they don't really need to be TVMA and they can still make a really great show. I'm not saying that because I, I, I do believe that is actually true. I think you can make a perfectly great uh, modern dramatic show without it being full of nudity and, and sex and graphic violence and uh, strong language. I think you could. I'm saying if I'm a successful TV producer and I've got a choice between the service that's going to read every script and give me feedback and say, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and this other service that'll pay me just as much and not say anything... Who am I going to pick? Like, really, who am I going to pick? So that is the challenge here. And it's a reputation thing. And it's about making deals with the people who are making these shows and being a place that creative people want to go. This is the story of HBO, right? Like, creative people want to go to HBO because of the reputation HBO has. And and, um, that is is what... NBC is working with here. Or, no, sorry. Uh, okay, I'll get to it now because I keep saying NBC. The most damning thing in the entire Wall Street Journal thing is Apple being referred to by people in Hollywood as expensive NBC, which made me laugh out loud when I saw it because what it means is Apple's got a lot of money, but they're but they want broadcast standards. They are expensive NBC. They don't want to make a, a, a super edgy HBO show. They want to make an NBC show. But they'll pay you a lot of money for high high value. Now, on one level, that seems like a recipe for failure because people don't watch network TV anymore. <laughs> they watch streaming and premium cable and stuff like that. And network TV is seen as this area of like kind of boring, um, uh, completely sanded down entertainment. Uh, the other way to view it would be <laughs> that maybe the money is part of it and that a Apple's money could counteract that and make something that was um, for a particular target audience, but not compromise in a way that makes it not interesting. Um, I, I, I think Apple is walking a really dangerous line here where they may end up with um, a, you know, they may turn off good creators and they may end up with uh, programming that isn't as good as they could be, that could be because of of meeting these standards. But at the same time, they're picking who their target audience is, and I really appreciate like Lost in Space on Netflix. It's a bad show. I didn't like it, but what I appreciated about it, watch the whole thing. It was bad. Um, don't 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 write me. Um, what I appreciate about it is that that was built for a target audience. That was family audience. It was not. It was not built TVMA. Um, there was just, uh, what is it? Uh, is it Netflix or Amazon just has a show that just came out. Tim Goodman actually reviewed it. And there are a few of these shows now popping up on streaming that are basically like network stuff. Fuller House is another good example, right? If you're Netflix, you actually want to not just get an HBO audience. You want a broad audience. You want people who, who are leaving network TV behind, but still kind of want the stuff that's on, of a style that's on network TV. So, what I'm saying is as this whole world of streaming and, and television changes, um, there's going to be a desire for all sorts of different kinds of, of content at different levels targeted at different audiences. So it may just be that Apple is trying to be really careful of not coming out of the gate with every single show being TVMA 
because what they want is a range. They want kids shows. They want stuff that 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 families can watch, and they want some stuff that's adult. But they don't want all their stuff to be adult. If you think about it in the network context, you got to have an eight o'clock show, you got to have a nine o'clock show, and a ten o'clock show, and the content that's allowed in those different time parts or uh, whatever whatever you want to call them. I think it's like in the UK, it's like before and after the watershed, right? Where yeah, it's the like, watershed. Yeah. Kids don't watch after the watershed, right? That it's that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're Apple, do you want to spread it? Con- I'm like, I I can kind of get behind that. That that they want to spread. Disney will do the same thing with their streaming services. Services they're going to want a spread of content for audiences. They're not going to want it to all be um, for little kids unless it's a little kid service, right? You're defining it as a broader service. So I don't know. I think this could be okay, but in the back of my mind, I keep thinking I'm a creator. Apple's got getting a reputation for micromanaging some of the details of the show that I want to make because they don't want it to be TVMA and it's going to be a fight or I can go to Netflix or Amazon if I have that option and it's not going to be a fight. And that means those people are not going to pick working with Apple and that's not good for Apple. Disney streaming service is going to be getting more original Marvel content. Apparently, so there's a rumors now, but... You know how it is in the TV industry. Apparently, they are planning a number of limited series centered on Marvel characters like Loki and Scarlet Witch. But what's more, these shows are expected to feature the movie actors reprising their roles Yeah, for, for six to eight episode miniseries about the characters. Disney is serious. This is how serious Disney is about launching their service. Is They have never done this where they've taken movie characters and made tv shows about them for marvel right that that is the marvel tv stuff has been produced largely separate from the the marvel films and it's typically people that aren't in the movies right at all they don't recast people they just don't put them right right so this is we will pay tom hiddleston to do a six hour miniseries about loki yeah for our streaming service because everybody's going to want to see it because they watch all the marvel movies and now he's going to also have a tv show it is yeah it's it's a I read this and I was like, okay, game on, right? Like, there, this is them willing to spend a lot of money yep. in order to play this card, which is they've got this incredibly valuable film franchise, and the existing Marvel Netflix shows and and other uh, network shows don't really dovetail with um, the Marvel films, and this is and they ex- especially won't now. <laughs> yeah, explicitly <laughs> connecting them. So yeah, they're being serious. You know, they're gonna pay people like Hiddleston the movie money, right? Like he's gonna get paid. What he get paid for doing a movie? So probably, right? Because it's gonna be like a three hours probably of content, right? That that will be produced. So this is it's gonna be it's, it's very big. And lastly, um, Amazon announces a TiVo like device called the Fire TV Recast. They had like a an absolute billion amount of Echo devices lo- uh, last week. I know that you covered them on download, right? Like just everything. Yeah. Amazon is doing everything. One of them was the Fire TV recast. It can send a signal from an antenna to Echo devices that have screens on them, Fire TV right. devices, or to mobile devices via an app. Um, it allows you to record two shows at once, and there are 500 gigabyte and one terabyte models. As a TiVo fan, does this interest you in any way? Well, it is not a device meant to be hooked up to cable. It's meant to be hooked up to an antenna. Mm-hmm. And so for people who live, and there are a lot of people who do, uh, in the U.S. near uh, their local TV antenna where they can get uh, the broadcaster, where they can get over the air, like there's high quality, high definition over the air broadcasting happening, and you can capture it and record it. And so then you can cut the cord and keep your local channels, which is really cool. And that, that's what this does. TiVo has a device like this. There are a couple other devices like this. I can't get over the air. 
So it's irrelevant to me. <laughs> but I think it's interesting that Amazon is going in here because this is this is um, this is a niche market. But I think that that there it could grow with education. The idea that you're a cord cutter with an antenna on your roof or on your patio or whatever, because it does make it easier to cut the cord if all your local channels come along like you know your your network affiliates and local independents just they're 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 downloaded onto your hard drive and it's done that um of course a lot of the streaming services will offer your local channels too but this is a, a way to get it for for free basically uh, if you can get them via antenna so, so it's kind of interesting it's still going to be a real niche product though all right let's talk about the iphone 10s's we we both had them for yes. the whole weekend, right? I know that you have both, right? The 10s and the 10s Max. I am holding them both in my hands right now, Mike. Because uh, you took a trip up to the mothership again, right? I went down to Cupertino, picked mm-hmm. up some uh, review units, got a briefing, and yes, I got uh, I got the both sizes to try out, which is fun. Um, I have obviously my 10s Max, of course, yeah. um, and I kind of wanted to just go through a few different sections and kind of just talk about our experiences yeah, with them. Totally. Um, it's time. So the design of the phones overall is mostly the same. The colors are different. What color do you have in, in with yours? Well, Apple, I think, is leaning hard into gold. Right, yeah. Every review model I've seen has been gold. <laughs> yeah, well, it's the new color, right? Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, but mine are both gold. I have the gold, and I love the gold. Um, it's really interesting, actually, because I went to the, the Regent Street Apple store and picked up mine in the morning. And in the store with the install lighting, the gold is very, very subtle. But at home, it's much deeper. Like, it's like a copper color when I'm at home. Like, it seems to react to different lighting in different ways. But I really do like the the gold. I mean, I, I am a, a, a case person for my phones because I just don't trust myself. Um, yeah. And I got a blue case and it matches quite nicely with the little gold accents that pop, you know, out like the bottom or the 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 ringer switch and stuff. I really, I really like the gold. You know, like ultimately because I do put my phone in cases, it kind of doesn't really matter anymore what I get because all the phones have dark faces now. Um, but I wanted to go for the gold and I went for the gold and I'm really happy with my decision. Actually, I've seen all three colors, right. And, and it is personally my favorite, um, of the three color options right now. Uh, what I have to say is gold, always believe in your soul. You've got the power to know. I'm indestructible. You, yeah, you are gold. Cause I always, believe sorry, little, little spandau ballet, mm-hmm. uh, sideline there. How could you not? No, it's the gold is very pretty. They did a good job. I, this is this thing, it kills me every time um, Syracuse refers to the white silver iPhone ten design as dishwater white. I don't read it that way at all. I think it's no. beautiful. I think no, that the silver... I, I think he's very wrong because I think the, the space gray is the worst looking. I think the space gray looks like a chocolatey brown color, which yeah, is Yeah, it's a chocolate phone. That's yeah. I, I was about to say the exact same thing. It's it's the chocolate phone. And I always go for the black phone, right? Yeah. And I, got, I bought that last year. And then my review unit was a white one, a silver... And um, it's it's prettier. It's absolutely better looking. And the the reason is that I don't view the white back as dishwater color. I view it as this kind of shimmering, silvery white. Like it, it it's got this kind of almost pearl finish to it, and it's beautiful. The gold is all is that but gold. <laughs> like it is. It, it they're very pretty. They they did a good job. And I, I stand by my statement that I think that the the space gray phone is actually the most boring and uh, and 
if you put in a case, it doesn't really matter. No. Um, but if you're just judging it without a case, I think that the the chocolate phone is no good. <laughs> um, there isn't really anything else to say about the the hardware, physical hardware, like design, the look of them. I mean, I want to talk about the size of the Macs, but I have one thing to say, which is just I love the fact that in the future, people who are analyzing what model of iPhone you have when you bring it into an Apple store or to an independent or whatever are going to be looking at the speaker grates on the bottom to see if they're yeah, uh, if they're symmetrical or not. <laughs> that's bad. Like that's one of those things that like so basically in case you don't know if you look at the bottom of your iPhone they have little holes in the bottom which are the speaker grates. And on the 10 they were symmetrical. They were so like 5 and 5 or whatever how many there were. But on the 10s there it, it is an uneven number. So on the max it's 4 on the left and seven on the right so the 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 speaker holes are uh, not symmetrical anymore and this is one of those things that like for years you would see somebody post a picture at the bottom of a android phone like a samsung phone and be like oh look at this they don't even like when people are trying to show um that samsung have copied apple right and they'll, they'll take pictures of the two the bottom of both phones and Samsung will have asymmetrical speaker grates or whatever, and people were like, ah, bleh, design. Well, now Apple does it too, and it's because they've the antenna line is there. I don't know why it's there. Yeah. It's probably something to do with the dual SIM. It's on the left, it's three it's three and six for the ten S standard size. But yeah, it's and so that's gonna be one of those things where if you're a super knowledgeable Apple person, you're gonna look and you're gonna be like, Oh, that's not a ten S, that's a ten. How did you know? Don't they look the same? It's like Almost. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Almost, but not Close. quite. Anyway, it's a, it's a silly little thing. But otherwise, otherwise, it's indistinguishable. Like, I put my 10S review unit in my 10 case because they do fit. They're not quite perfect but it's they a little fit. snug around the camera is, is my yeah a little a little bit but it's uh but it's 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 close enough and uh it, it's the same phone like it feels exactly the same it, it it is not it does not feel different in any way this is one of those years where the design is basically unchanged and that's fine but the gold is pretty <laughs> unless you got the big one unless you got the big one in which case in which case so uh, I'll, I'll, let me let me lead you into talking about the big one because you're the plus club and i've never been in the plus club mm-hmm. and what i'll say is one of the funny things about having both of these phones is you spend a little time with the 10s max and you start to lose like lose track you become unmoored from reality and you're like oh i didn't re- i don't remember that the iphone 10 was this big but it's fine and because it is it is so weird because it is it is just an iphone 10 that has gotten a little bit bigger. It's 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 this really strange feeling. It doesn't something about it. Maybe it's the bezels being gone. Something about it. It f- doesn't feel like like I wouldn't choose it because I prefer the smaller phone in my hand. But it feels just like an alternate version of the iPhone 10 to me. Um, in a strange way. And then you carry that around for a while, and then you put it back down next to the iPhone 10s not Max, and you go, oh, look at the teeny little phone that's there, (laughs) right? Because you lose perspective about Mm -hmm. it because they're literally the same phone, just one of them's bigger. So I have my theory about this, right? So I'll just say I find the Max to be very comfortable in the hand. It reminds me so much of the Plus. It feels like less of a jump, and I feel like people like yourself who were very much in the anti-Plus size... I think what's happened is, because a lot of people that I know are saying similar things, like, oh, this actually isn't too bad. And I think what's happened is the 10 was bigger than the 7, right? So 
you have become a little bit more accustomed to a bigger phone anyway. And now the jump up to the max is not as much as it used to be. So I think that the fact that the phones got bigger, the 10 got bigger, now there being another bigger one, well, it's just a little bit bigger again. And I think that that's, I mean, I, I, maybe it is part of it, right, that the, the design makes it feel that way, but you already got used to having a bigger phone. So how, getting used to having an even bigger phone is way less harder than it used to be. That's kind of my my theory on this one, why I think there seems to be a lot of people in basically every review, even from people like that I know would never have bought a plus phone, including John Gruber, right? He said basically a similar thing to you, which is like, I, I could actually see myself using this. I've still yeah. chosen the 10s, but I could see myself using it. I would even go so far as to say that if I was in a particular scenario where I was spending a lot of time with just my iPhone and I needed to get stuff done, I could see choosing this because of the bigger battery and also because of just having that bigger screen. Like I opened a Ferrite recording studio podcast project. And it's like, yep. you know, you're in, in um, horizontal mode uh, where you can see three tracks at once and you can move, like, I could totally edit a podcast on the 10s max. I could do it on the 10s, but it would not be pleasant, but I think it would actually be okay on the 10s max. And that's, that's a scenario there that like, mm-hmm. do I want for, for the way I live my life, I, I don't want a bigger phone in my pocket, but I could see uh, other scenarios where this one would would be worth it for me in a way that the Plus models wouldn't have been. It was really funny. Like, So, I, you know, everyone knows this who's listened over the past years. I think everybody does this. As soon as I get the phones, I open up Apple Notes and I just start writing down everything that I'm experiencing and that, so I can put it into some kind of cohesive narrative for later on. And there was one thing that I wrote, well, a couple of things that I wrote after holding the Max. It was uh, within minutes, my iPhone 10 felt tiny. Like, just was like, what is this baby, baby phone? Um, and I kind of, I wrote down the, the size, like it's big, it is heavy, this phone, right? It's bigger and heavier, but it feels just right for me. And that I kind of had this feeling of that I was home again, right? That's kind of how I felt. It's like, this feels like home again, having the bigger phone. Um, about 20 minutes after Federico received his phone, he sent me a text and he says, I feel like I'm home again. I was like, oh, I said the same thing, right? Because I didn't say it to him. But he, you know, also being someone, a previous proponent of Plus Club, I think it's just like having these bigger phones, this is what we're used to. Like, I love these phones for media and in lots of apps, even ones that haven't been like specifically tuned for it, you can just see more at once and... That can either be something you want or something you don't want, but it is for people that like these bigger phones. It's one of the main reasons to get them. It's just you want to be able to see as much as you can see on the screen that you have. And so I'm very, very happy with the size of this phone. Um, But every new phone, Jason, brings with it setup. So Mm -hmm, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about setup. So like last year, the quick setup feature really makes this process so much easier now so this is where if you have if you have an old phone on and near any device actually even like an ipad um, that is signed into an icloud account when you turn on the new phone it will prompt you and be like do you just want to transfer the settings this is something i hadn't seen before it popped up on my ipad and was like you have this phone we know you have this old phone do you just want to transfer the settings of the old phone to this one so i guess it's pulling it from my icloud back somewhere right yeah so it's what it's doing is it's it's connecting 
it's providing just a basic amount of information that's necessary uh, to transfer directly, and then it's kicking off the iCloud backup of the rest of it. And yep. it's a it's funny since we one of our I think most popular episodes ever three years ago maybe sure. was complaining about how unpleasant the what should be your most pleasant day as an Apple product buyer yeah. should be. And this this thing, which they've had for a little while now, but it keeps getting better. And it, it got better again this year, which I, I think it was this year, because I do this every year now with my reviews. Um, not only is there the thing where you hold the camera over the other thing and see little dots, just like on the Apple Watch, and it does that tra- basic transfer between the two devices, and then it kicks off the wireless, and you have to put in the password of the one phone on the other phone and all of the security stuff. And that works really well. But um, this year, the Apple Watch transfer worked too. Um, I know you're not an Apple Watch person, but let me tell you, the Apple Watch stuff, which used to be a total disaster. You had to remember to unpair your Apple Watch from your old phone, and it would take forever because it's the Apple Watch. And then you had to go transfer to the new phone, and then you had to repair and restore from a backup and all of that. And this time when I did it, it was like, oh, you've got an Apple Watch. You want me to transfer that too? I'm like, yeah. And it still does, takes time and all of that, but it was way uh, smoother than it has been in the past, where it realized I have an Apple Watch attached to my phone. I'm moving to a new phone. Maybe I want to move the Apple Watch there too. And it did it and it worked. And I was very happy about that. So they, they keep they keep making this better. I, I am impressed. I uh other than having to like re-enter my Gmail password, um, which was not a big deal, everything else transferred and was there and was super easy. So I mostly agree, right? Like the, the process is much easier there's way less stuff to tap and i did see one thing that i hadn't seen before that i really liked where on the the 10s max it, it popped up and said hey your icloud backup is a little bit out of date like it hadn't been updated since like 7 p.m the day before do you want to do an icloud backup on the old phone first right and when i tapped yes the backup began on the 10 i tapped the button on the 10s max and then an upgrade, like a backup <laughs> began on the 10. I was very impressed by that. I thought that was very that? nice. Mm-hmm. But I still remain overall unhappy with set, how you set up a new iPhone from a backup. Oh. There are too many weird things, like too many apps I'm logged out of or my settings are different in some way. Like, And I'm, I'm fully aware of the fact that there's like, if you do, if you back up on a Mac and do the encrypted backup, things are more likely to be transferred correctly. But I do iCloud restores because that's how the vast majority of people getting a new iPhone will set it up because it's what Apple pushes you into, right? Like this is, they don't even talk about like, go to your Mac and do like, they're pushing you down the iCloud restore. And I just feel like for like two weeks afterwards, I'm like, so none of my music that I downloaded on my 10 is downloaded on my 10s. I have to manually go in and download all my music from Apple Music if I want anything to be offline. You know, there are a bunch of applications that I open them up and they're just logged out. It's like, I don't, but, the, but not every app is like this, right? Some apps I go there and it's all there again. Like I find this process to be way too splintered in a way that I am unhappy with because I spend an amount of time like having to go in and check everything. Like I, I really want to just start my phone and it all be a hundred percent exactly how it was left. And until Apple gets to that point, I will continue to be unhappy with the way that this process works. That's fair. I mean, I, I think 
I understand why a lot of those things need to be re-entered, but... Yeah, I mean, I understand the technical reasons why it happens, but I think it's a poor user experience. Because it's yeah. because the problem is, is it's not consistent, right? Some apps I'm logged into, some apps I'm not, and no matter what the technical reasons are, as a user, that is not my problem, right? Like, I, I want a system, whatever it is they have to do to make it, that this won't be an issue. You know, and my hope would be that, like... Stuff like iCloud Keychain can help me get there, right? That like they could do something in the future where like if they if an app requires you to re-log in again, that app Apple can just pull it immediately in the background from the keychain. Like that I wanna see stuff like that happening because when I open you know, I open my email app and that's all there, but then I open Todoist and I have to log back in again, right? And it's just like I don't it's for, it, I just find it frustrating, and I would. Yep. And I, I, and it is the in- inconsistency that bugs me the most. I think this is made easier by the fact that now, uh, with the new um, app login stuff and the new password stuff, that I was able to get one password passwords inserted into a lot of my apps when I needed to re-log in. Yeah, I mean, that made it amazingly faster than ever before, right? The fact that I could just hit that little uh, the little suggestion in the quick type keyboard and could get my one password. Like, So uh, this year was a nicer process, but it's still way too manual for me. Like, I, I want more of this to be automatic. I, I hear you. And, and if it is an issue of not wanting to back things up to the cloud, the response maybe should be to allow that stuff to be able to transfer as part of that initial yes device to device transfer right so literally you show you have the password for this other device and now it's going to transfer all of its stuff to you and then do an iCloud backup and i'm sure there are lots of security ramifications there but it would it would it strikes me as being a way to solve this because at some point as a user you need to be able to say all the stuff on there is my stuff move it over right yeah. and you know, and maybe there are issues with things being tied to a particular device or something like that. If that's the case, then make changes to the operating system that allow app, app developers to not necessarily tie to a specific device, but tie to you as a user. And and maybe they're already in the process of doing that. I don't know. But I agree with you. I think it's gotten a lot better. I think it is a minor inconvenience to log into apps now yep. instead of a major inconvenience to get the phone to a point where it's functional. But it could be better, sure. Like, I'm doing this on launch day, right? And I'm not having these problems anymore where my iCloud Restore is sitting for like six hours doing nothing, you know? Right. Like, it's totally that's going quickly. Like, Downloading apps. Yeah. I'm not having to answer like 30 questions anymore, right? Like, or log into your Apple ID um, 10 times. Yeah. Like all of that stuff is so much better. And, this is like I'm, and I'm really happy for that. But it's because that's gotten better. I want the whole experience to be even smoother still, right? And... I feel like this is an important thing and I would love to see them get even better at it. Um, Just like a super quick thing because there isn't really too much to say on this. These things do feel really snappy. I know that there's not been a ton of performance stuff done, um, but even things I've found like text selection in notes feels smoother than it did before. Like there are a lot of little places and and we're going to talk about the camera's performance, but even like the camera app is moving way quicker. Like there are a lot of areas where these phones do feel more capable. However, I am noticing stuff and this is like when the plus came out, there are just like a bunch of like super weird layout bugs that are happening right now. Like there's not a lot of them, but I'm getting some like weird bugs and weird freezes on the max that I wasn't getting on my iPhone 10. My assumption here is just because like 
my, I would assume that based upon Apple's secrecy, not a lot of testing occurs necessarily on the Mac's phone, right? I, I would assume the majority of testing in iOS 12's development is occurring on the stuff that already exists. Right. Would you yeah. assume that to be the case? That feels like that would be the way. I would assume that mostly, I'm sure they do test this on the new hardware, but it's probably much more limited, right? Because the yeah. new hardware hasn't been announced yet. So, I mean, and it is pretty normal that like a couple of weeks after a phone comes out, there is like a super quick point update, right? That just clears out some bugs. Like I've even had stuff like, I had no app crashes on my iPhone 10 for the entire iOS 12 beta, but I have a couple of apps that, completely crash on uh on on load right now like they will not open they're instant crashing on the and this is on the 10s and the 10s max which is so strange i don't understand why that would be occurring like what about these new phones is doing that hmm. but that that is not a completely unique experience i've been seeing a few a few cases of this in different places but the Phones do feel really snappy. They're really quick. Right. We need to talk about the camera. I'll say the um, before we get to the camera, one last thing about the apps on the on the Macs that aren't uh, explicitly updated for the Max size are scaled. Yeah, yeah, there is a bit of that. And the difference is that the the resolution of the 10 is so high, and the 10s and the 10s Max, these all these phones, these three phones that are kind of the same in a lot of ways so high that it's actually almost impossible to tell. Unlike on the Plus, right, where the scaled ones all looked fuzzy. On the on the 10s Max, the scaled apps look fine. Now, supporting the native size puts a lot more content on the screen, and so it's worth doing if you're an app developer. But as a user, I, my feeling is you basically don't notice because yeah. it's it 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 just it looks it still looks good. It does. It's only a little bit scaled. It's the way you can see it is the keyboard. It's yeah, the keyboard, keyboard scaled a little bit a little bit strangely yeah but this is nowhere near as harsh as it's been with other phones like it, it and i think it's just because you know there's been enough history of this now that it's not so bad but like i'm seeing some apps starting that that need a little bit of update and getting it and i'm, I'm looking forward to seeing like when people have this phone and the 10r in for testing that we may see some more developers taking advantage of the of the bigger screens in even more ways which i love but the camera. Now, this is so interesting to me. Um, just the performance of the camera on these phones and information that was not given in the keynote. So, John Gruber's review of the iPhone XS was one of my favorites that I read. Um, and he goes into yep. a lot of detail about stuff that just wasn't spoken about. Like, for example, that there is an incre- a 32%, I think, increased focal length all right so no the sensor the, the sensor is 32 percent. okay larger. sorry yes that's it yeah. and, and that that increases focal length is, is is what i was trying to say so the the sensor is larger yep and it and it increases the focal length so it means if you take a picture with a 10 and a 10s in the exact same place the picture that you get at the end of it there is more to see it's taken it takes right you know you can see more of the world right. on the, the effective picture it, what it is is the effective lens size is larger yes so you know it, it is it, therefore you get this you you get a little more in there yeah that's Which true and there's more light going into the sensors and there's a lot more going on because that sensor is larger which means that it it's taking in more light and i am having so much fun of taking what should be bad pictures i am doing everything i can right now to take pictures in ways that i wouldn't normally take them like hey stand in front of this light fixture and let me take a picture of you is what i've been doing for the past couple of days because smart hdr 
is blowing my mind. Like, it is unbelievable. Every photo I've taken has been just facing into the sun. Yeah. Like, you know, you can't take a picture facing into the sun. It'll blow out the picture. I'm like, all the pictures I take will be facing into the sun from now on. Like The, the way it deals with low light, the way it deals with bad light sources is wonderful. And, you know, this is... Apple leaning into computational photography, right? And I know, like, yeah. it, it seems that all of the reviews that I've seen from sources where they look at Android and they look at iPhone are saying that, like, this camera is incredible. The Pixel 2 still takes better pictures, but this phone, it, this, this camera is incredible. It makes perfect sense to me because if the big improvements here are because of machine learning, Google's going to have that on lock because that's what they do. Yeah. But th- the argument for this stuff always is, like, I don't want the best camera. I want the best camera on an iPhone because I want to use an iPhone. Right. I want to use an iPhone, so I want I want Apple to get better at this. Yeah. I would say um, I have I have heard this argument, and I did hear it on Connected last week that um, the argument is Apple's got to work hard here because Google is great with machine learning stuff, and computational photography is all about that sort of stuff. And that's true. However, what is Apple good at? that its competition is bad at, or at least not as good as Apple at. And it's chips, right? Yeah. yeah. So so just because, so yeah, here's the thing. Google can be better at machine learning, but they still got to run that on a Qualcomm chip. Yeah. And if Apple can beat the pants off Qualcomm at, uh, the, at the neural engine performance, basically, then that's Apple's advantage. Yeah, it's an arms race. It, it is. And I'm not saying that one is better than the other. Right? Like, they both have their things, and who can get to the best fastest? That's right. But they both have, they're both pressing their advantages, which is why Apple talks all about the neural engine and the eight cores and all of that in the in the promo of this, because that's what they're really good at. Now, they, they have lots of machine learning people. I think that it, it does everybody a disservice to say that. And also, Qualcomm's actually done really well with the neural processing subprocessors on their mm-hmm. uh, mobile chips, too. So it's it's not like one company is bad at one thing and good at the other. But no, they, they there is an arms strengths, race happening. Right? Like, yes, absolutely. Apple have done an incredible incredible job with the machine learning and all the neural stuff to make smart hdr work because it is one of my favorite features that apple have introduced ama- to an iphone ever i love it it's incredible it makes me a better photographer and that's that's it i, I always want that from my device like I want to be forgiven for the bad photos that I will inevitably take because I am not a photographer and I am personally not massively interested in learning all of the stuff that I'm going to need to know to take good pictures. I want my incredibly powerful computer phone to assist me. That's what I want. If I want to get the most accurate pictures in the world, I'll get a camera, right? Like I'll get a camera and I'll take them on that. That's not what I want. I have a thing I want to capture forever I want it to be captured in the way that I'm going to be happy with it in years to come. So and I want my computer phone to take this picture for me and and give me something that is closest to what my eyes can see. That's all I want. And and dynamic range and smart HDR is speaking to one of the, the truths. It's not true that every photo you take, you want to look exactly like what you're seeing because something like having a blurred background, right? You're actually creating something that's not like what you're seeing, but that is it is pleasing aesthetically. Mm-hmm. But I do think so much of consumer photography really is about, I see this thing happening in front of me and I want to capture it. And and the problem is that our our human eyes have so much dynamic range built into them. 
Um, not ju- not just the optics, just to make a parallel to computers, not just the optics, but the neural processing, right? Like our brains do a lot of processing of the images we get huh. from our eyes, but we, <laughs> yeah. but it's way better than a camera can do. So what the smart HDR is doing it, it, that I think is really powerful is getting that image that you're seeing in, especially where there's huge dynamic range in the scene, there's starks and lights in the same shot is to try to get something that is closer to what you actually were trying to capture, uh, closer to the, what you see, because your eye can see it. But how many times have you done that where you're like, oh, this is great. And then you take a picture and it's like you can't see half of it because there was too much light and it it, it uh, adjusted for the darkness and so it blew out the lights or it adjusted for the light and then you can't see anything that's in the shadow. Mm-hmm. And for stuff like that, it does a, a, a spectacular job and I think people will like it and they won't think anything of it, right? That's the other thing about this being turned on by default and doing all this stuff is as far as you're concerned as a user, you press the button and it takes a picture and the picture looks good. And that's all it should be. Like there shouldn't be any fiddling around here. It should just do it. You don't have to tap, like be sure to tap on the light spot and then it'll get the dark spots. Like, no, 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 no. It does all of that. It figures all that out. And I'll throw in on the video side, something that they also didn't talk about so much, which is the idea that there's this extended dynamic range video, which blew me away. This As somebody who has who tries to think about how much processing and how much data is going on here, the uh, they don't say HDR, they say it's extended dynamic range video. This is a feature that has existed before in other things. Dan Sturm told me that it's a feature on RED cameras to do this, but the which is a high-end professional video camera. But um, the way it works on the iPhone XS is if you take a 4K video at... 30 frames a second. The device is capable of capturing 60 frames a second, right? So if you take it at 30, what it does is it still captures at 60, but it captures every other frame as a stepped up or stepped down uh, image. Mm -hmm. And then on the fly stitches those two images together into a single extended dynamic range image, which means... Follow me here. It's shooting 4K video at 60 frames a second, adjusting the settings every 160th of a second, and every 130th of a second, taking two frames of 4K video and analyzing them to see if they can put them together in a way to extend the dynamic range. Just to, And all you do is you press the button and record video. But some of their videos where they've got like bicycles going through the forest and there's like light streaming through and there's a shadow, deep shadow in the back. Like what it's doing there is the, uh, the dark stuff is being taken from one of those sets of frames and the light stuff from the alternate light, you know, other set of frames. And then it's stitching them all together. It's, that is amazing that that kind of stuff is happening um but that's where we are with this technology is that how do you get around the limits of sensors in terms of dynamic range and the answer is build faster sensors and take a bunch of pictures and then have a have software stitch them all together on the fly and it's happening today like literally the shipping iphone today if you take video at 30 frames per second it is capturing and and uh and extending dynamic range and you don't even know it so I just want to, before we move away from this and we start talking about the Apple Watch, I'll put a link in the show notes to a, uh, a like a camera test that I did yesterday. Me and Adina, we, we went out and we were having a drink in a bar. Low light in there. And I took a picture on her phone and a picture on my phone. Do you see this link I put in the show notes? Yeah, I see it. You compare those two, right? So on the left is the iPhone X and on the, on the right is my XS Max. That difference, like... 
this is the exact type of thing I'm talking about, right? Like, yep. if we're out at a nice place, I might want to take a picture of her, right? She has a drink. Now, if I would have taken that picture on the tan, I would have not kept that photo. Yeah, what it looks like is she... So, she's backlit. There's a light right behind yep. her head. And on the, the 10S picture, what it looks like is it looks like almost like a photographer's assistant was off screen with, like, a reflective thing to light her face. Yeah, because it because a professional photographer that's what they do. If you're backlit, is that they're gonna they're gonna front light you to counteract the backlighting. Right. Um, but in this yes. case, what's happening is the 10s Max is doing you know that long exposure and also the other exposures and then putting them together, and so it's able to capture. Now, also, I'll point out the light behind her is also not blown out like it is no. on the 10. See, like, like, like the that. 10, it's all bulgy yep. and there's like a, a big a, a big uh, flare at the top of the light. And the, on the 10S Max shot, it is the shape of the light, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is also kind of amazing. You can see the picture in the background. Yep. Yeah. And she looks further away, right? Because She does, right? Because the, the focal length is different. So, I mean, for me, like this is the kind of thing that I'm talking about, right? Like nobody who knew what they were doing with a camera would take this picture, Right, because it's just not going to come out, right? Like just me on my own taking this picture. But I want to take it. I want these pictures, and this camera is allowing me to do that. Like all of the detail, all of the color, the color of her sweater, like all of this stuff comes out in a way that I could never have captured before. Like I am really, really blown away by how good this camera is at fixing my mistakes. And I think that that is awesome. And I I am very surprised that Apple didn't... I, I feel like they didn't sell this to me. I, I think that they yeah. did a bad job of selling this thing to me because the pictures that they're taking are professional photos, and that's not what they should be showing me. Like, I want to see pictures like this. Show me pictures of someone in a bar. Like, don't show me pictures of someone standing, like, next to the Golden Gate Bridge, like, and, and it'd be all beautiful. Because that's not, like, that's not how me and you take photos. Because that's not what we do. We take pictures of our friends, you know, doing silly things in places. And we take pictures of our dogs in the park, right? Like, that, and I want to see that kind of stuff. Because that sells it to me. Because it's been so funny, like, as I've been sharing some of these pictures over the past few days... That people were like, oh, now I want one of these because I had no idea it was this good. I think this is the feature that would get, if you have last year's model, the, the thing that will make you say, oh, I, I do need to update. Which, again, most people are not needing to update from mm-hmm. last year's model. But if there is something that's going to drive it. I mean, I, I posted something in our Slack, like a picture of my dog. I was taking a walk in one of these situations where it was the afternoon and we were on the side of uh, of the mountain on a trail and there's light parts and dark parts. And like you can see the dog in the shadows. You can see the blue sky. It's not blown out. You can see the leaves on the trees. Um, I was in some extreme dynamic. I mean, I'm shooting into the sun and it looks fine. Yep. And that's it's just that again. If you're a professional photographer, you know not to do that. But this is consumer photography. And you just, you know, you don't care where the sun is. You care where your kid is or your dog is or whatever. And you want to um, take a picture of that and have it actually look good. And this does that. Can I put that in the show notes too so people can see it? Yeah, sure. So that'll be in there too. Just just a couple of things, right? And, you know, none of this is conclusive, but it, it's some of the stuff that has made me happy that I upgraded my phone. All right. We should mm-hmm. talk about the Apple Watch. But we should. we do... 
Let's thank our next sponsor, which is our friends over at Smile. I want to talk to you about the PDF Pen, which is one of my very favorite applications. PDF Pen is the ultimate tool for editing PDF. Using PDF Pen, you can go paperless for scanning because it also features OCR as well, so it can read the text that's in the images that you're scanning in. You can mark up and highlight PDFs. You can search and redact sensitive information, such as account numbers, if you're sending them off to somebody else. You can correct text in PDFs without needing the originals, which is wonderful. And you don't have to do that weird thing where you like convert it to a different format and try and convert it back again. You can insert, remove, and reorder pages in PDFs. You can move and adjust images, record and playback audio and so much incredible stuff or as well you can grab pdf pen pro which will allow you to do create uh, fillable pdf forms you can create and edit table of contents convert websites into pdfs and even add and edit document permissions pdf pen 10 comes with a bunch of new features such as watermarks and a new precision editing tool head over to the smile blog and you can get details and animated gifs of all of these features in action i use and love pdf pen like i use it every single day i'm the i deal with contracts so much in my work and i get sent some of the most wild things you'll ever see in your life right where i love when somebody sends you a word document and like can you sign this like how 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 do you think i've got i've got to print this like no i don't want to print this i use pdf pen and i do it and it's wonderful so you can learn more about pdf pen and pdf pen pro right now at smilesoftware.com slash podcast our thanks to pdf pen from smile for their support of this show and relay fm all right so uh the apple watch series four um i i didn't buy one of these for myself uh, but I did buy one for Adina, and I wore it for a whole day just so I could kind of get a feeling for it. When I went to the Apple store, though, I did try on the gold stainless steel in the 44 millimeter, and immediately fell in love with it. That is, the, in my opinion, the most beautiful Apple Watch that Apple has ever made. I think it is stunning. I mean, overall, these watches look brilliant. I, I really do love the design of them, but that gold one, it it really spoke to me. I don't know why. I, I absolutely loved it. Um, which watch do you have? <laughs> it's because you are gold. I guess Always so. believe in you. Anyway, we're back to spin about light. I have the aluminum space gray, as I always do. Right. I mean, I, I just wondered if they pushed the gold on you. Like they... I, I saw it, but they did not give me a, a gold okay. watch to review. I, uh, I, I did see one, and it looks very nice. Like I love it. it the gold stainless looks really, really nice. If you want a gold watch, um, a shiny gold watch, it's definitely. I, I don't love the fact that the stainless is only the um, the cellular model yeah. because that's a three hundred dollar gap between the GPS only <laughs> aluminum and the uh, the nearest stainless, and mm-hmm. I don't I don't love that. But it is what it is. There, I, I I get why they're doing it, but I don't love it. Did yours coming the original packaging? Because I don't know how this stuff comes from Apple. Yeah, oh yeah. Shrink-wrapped. Because they've changed the way that they do the watch packaging, which is really interesting to me, where you now get the watch and the band in two separate boxes, and it's kind of held together in this this paper. This little wrapper, yeah. Yeah, so my expectation is... I mean, they're clearly doing this to help with logistics, right? Because then they don't need as many uh, what's called SKUs, right? So they don't need as many options. They don't need as many pre-packaged watches with the bands because now the, the boxes, the watches are all just exactly the same and they add the band choice. My expectation is they are building towards a build-to-order 
for the watch, which you can't do right now. Like if right. you want to get X watch, it comes with X band and that's it. And there might be a couple of options, but like you can only choose from the options. But then there are way more colors and, you know, a band you can buy afterwards. I expect that Apple is like beginning the steps towards you go to the website, you say, I want this watch and this band and ship that to me. Because that that feels like where they're going with this, and this is kind of step one of that of getting that process in place. Because that's where they should go. I mean, this is a personal like device that people buy. You know, like y- you don't get a prepackaged case with your iPhone, right? Like that's not how it works. You just buy the iPhone and you get a case if you want it. But they have so many band options that you know you shouldn't just have the choice of like two sport bands in two different colors you should be able to choose from any of them it is so annoying that they have the whole like i was looking to see where they're in stock because the one i ordered for lauren is not coming until next month and they're like oh well we have the one with this band in stock here Mm -hmm. and the one with this band in stock here and i thought really (laughs) really the this is dumb like plus you're like i don't want a white sport band but if you can get the phone with a white sport band and you've got existing bands i guess i'll just buy the white sport band so i i'm i i'm also hopeful that maybe this is going to lead to some sort of either uncoupling of the two or you'll be able to order it online with and pick your band yeah and because you know in the supply and certainly it means that right now when you've got two band options for each one or or even more than that maybe for some it means that at the factory they can you know all the all the watches are just made with the same process in the same box and then they're wrapped um which probably helps them if there's like more orders for one or another you can you can do that on the fly but i'd love yeah. it if it was if there was more consumer choice beyond that so uh, on the wrist these watches really don't wear much bigger they 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 are bigger but they don't necessarily feel it um i will say for me so Adina is very small, and the 38 was always big on her. And the 40 millimeter is still big on her, but she finds it comfortable, right? And that's kind of the thing. It's like, yes, these are bigger, and they are physically bigger, but it's how do they feel? And the fact that they're lighter and they're thinner, right? So they're lower down to the wrist. I found this for me. She's found it for her, and, and this seems to be a general consensus that, yes, they are bigger, but they don't necessarily feel it they're still very comfortable and they're comfortable in new ways which i think is a big is a big difference for this one yeah i like um i got the bigger one and it doesn't feel bigger it looks bigger when i tap on it i actually have been like my passcode (laughs) i get the numbers wrong because the the metrics are a little bit different because it is such a taller screen than it was before but um it doesn't i mean what makes part of what makes it feel bigger is that there's more pixels stretched out i i don't know how much of it is that the screen is actually taller and how much of it and, and wider but that it's that it's just it goes to the edges now and so that makes it feel different the edges are rounded down in a way that the previous models weren't that makes it feel thinner and then it is actually a little bit thinner and it and it feels it, it looks and feels much thinner on my wrist even though it's a small amount you can you can f- see the difference yeah, which is, it, it makes the overall just, it makes it, for, I think, very comfortable. It's the, I think they've done a great job. Um, the tactics, adding the tactics to the digital crown is a really nice touch. And I feel that, I mean, yeah. okay, so I haven't worn an Apple Watch for like five or six months nearly at this point. 
but like five months. I haven't, I don't, I haven't worn an Apple Watch on a, a daily basis at all. But the digital crown, that's a real nice addition. But the Taptic motor in general feels slightly different to me. And I, I wonder if you feel the same. It does feel different. Okay, great. Because it feels a little bit more natural. Yeah, I'm not sure I would say that it is more prominent because I actually had prominent haptics turned on before and I have them turned on now and I feel like they're maybe less prominent than they were before. But they're still, but they're maybe a little more distinct, like like there's a little more fine yeah. feel there. I don't know. They just, it feels different for sure than the old one. I do like the um, the digital crown uh, haptics are very clever and um, they, you know, they're software controlled. So it's not like every little bit that you rotate, it makes a tick. It's based on whatever you're seeing on screen. So like in the apps list, every app that appears is a tick. In the emoji picker, right, every line of the emoji picker is a tick. And that, that just reinforces what you're seeing in the UI, which I think is smart. What do you think of the new watch faces? I like them. I am still kind of, well, first off, I think the jury's out because you have to build, if you're a watch app maker, you have to build new um, complications in order to use the infograph faces. The old, you would have thought that they would have done some sort of compatibility mode where like there's an overcast complication and it's on my utility face and it's round. (laughs) It's round. It could fit in one of those circles on the infograph face, but nope. Nope, you need a different, it's a different style of complication to get in those circles on the infograph faces than it is on the other faces. And so apps need to be updated. So I'm encouraged by it. I kind of like them. I like how they look. Um, I I don't like the infograph, um, the non-modular, the infograph with the hands the as much as I thought because I want to put numbers on them. And you can't because they've put complications where all the numbers are. So that, that I kind of like a watch with a watch face with numbers. But um, the big thing is going to be I don't have enough things to fill the complication slots. <laughs> it, it, like there just aren't enough things that I think are yeah. useful. Like Apple yeah. has Apple's like, oh, well, we'll put the air quality index on there and we'll put the UV on there and all that. It's like, that's fine. I don't. Th- those aren't things that I need. So what I want is a bunch more uh, Apple Watch uh, complication stuff to be added that feeds those complications. And I'm in, I'm increasingly interested in the infograph modular, which has a huge space in the middle for a, a giant mega complication. And right now what's on offer there is not stuff that I'm, I'm super interested in, but um, I'm hopeful that if something comes out that I'm really excited about, that that will be a more likely use case. I am still frustrated. I have to say, um, the there's a uh, calendar face that's actually pretty good that shows you your next calendar event in the infograph uh, face. And the, the complication has been around a long time, but there's more room for it. It looks nice. And it's got the date also on it. But it's the same thing as always, which is when you don't have a meeting, it puts text on your wrist that says no, no, you know, no more events. And I, I hate that. I hate that. Just don't put text there. If there are no more events, don't put text there. But every time I check my watch, it's going to say no events today, no more events today. Like I, it's just, it's stupid. It's the one thing that Apple Watch, even with watchOS 5, has not gotten to yet is the idea of being really conditional where like, I want to see a timer if a timer is running, but I don't want the timer complication on my watch all yeah. the time. Now, I guess the, and it the just Siri watch do that. face is closest to that, but the Siri watch face comes with its own set of drawbacks, right? Exactly, exactly. So... 
anyway, but I, I do, I think they're, I think they're really cool. I just think there needs to be more content for them. And I haven't yet figured out kind of exactly how I want to do, um, how I want to set them up. So I'm still, I'm still kind of exploring there, but, um, you know, but it looks, they look great. I, I really like them. And I think that they could be, they are built to have information overload. Like that's what they're for. And yeah. right now there aren't enough complications that are compatible with them that fulfill my desire for information overload. And I hope, uh, <laughs> I hope we get there because I do want to um, load it up with things that I actually want, things I want to see when I check my watch. And right now there, are, you know, I've got carrot weather, and I've got the activity uh, uh, complication, and I've got the date and the time, and that's mm-hmm. literally it, which is not not much. I uh, I set it up with the regular infograph watch face, and I love the one with the white face when you're gonna have the white face to it. I just, just like the way that looks a lot. I had the same problem as you. Like there are a couple of complications where it was like, well, I'm just gonna put these there because I need to fill the spaces. I do like on that watch, because you've got the four kind of circles in the middle, that you can assign one of your favorites from your favorite contacts into there and it puts the little picture there and sure. you can tap it and send them a message or call them. I like that, that was cool. But I ended up with like, I put the solar system one in. It's like, I don't even yeah. know, I don't know what to put in here. But I do, I mean, I know that these are polarizing because I understand why it is a, it is a very particular design decision that's been made with these of like having all this information all these different colors and stuff but i really like the way that it looks and um i really like the corner complications i like the way the yeah. carrot weather and the, like I, they're great for weather right where you show the like the the low and high temperature and on that little graph right i love that is such clever interface design like mm-hmm. that's one of the best ways that i've ever seen to show temperature like it's genius. I I've never seen it. I mean, I'm sure it's been done somewhere like this, but I've never seen it displayed in that way where you've got this like low and high and then a point on that line. I think it's really smart. It, it gives you a, like I like the idea of like okay, how does it feel right now? All right, well this is the middle point of temperature today, and it's like I I yeah. like thinking of it that way. That that it's that's a nice visual way of showing that information. So my other frustration about the, these watch faces is that there are these nice circular complication spaces in the infograph face, and yet they didn't update the other faces. They updated the other faces for the Series 4 because, like, the bottom on on my beloved uh, utility face is now curved when before it was straight. But what they didn't do is modify the circular complication areas on that face to use the new, fancier circular complications yeah they're using the old ones and i just don't i don't understand why that is there's a discontinuity like that like on the series four perhaps you should use the series four fancy complications and design around them and they chose not to do that which i i don't entirely understand it is weird that like they've got all these new complication types but they can only be used in two places and that's it like it, it's kind of like this the series stuff again right it's like well okay you can build some areas that that tie into the siri watch face to show contextual stuff but no not on any other watch face on every other watch face it will just show no more events right like it's like why are why are the watch faces being built in these weird silos it's it's very strange Oh, like, so, okay, so this is, um, we're jumping ahead to an Ask Upgrade question, but some, uh, Rajiv asked if uh, you can get cellular signal status on any other face besides Explorer. The answer is still no. Why can you only find out your cellular status on the Explorer face? That should be a complication. Like, it's very strange, very strange. I I don't really understand that. Can I talk about what it's been like, what it was like to use an Apple Watch again? 
Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm intrigued. So I will say that I'm very happy that the Apple Store in Regent Street didn't have any of the gold stainless steel watches in stock. (laughs) (laughs) Because I loved it so much wearing it, I probably would have ended up walking out with one. And now after having worn the Apple Watch for a day, um, I was reminded of the things that I didn't like about it and also given some new things that for some reason I now just don't like about the Apple Watch anymore, so I won't be buying one. So I found myself frustrated about two main things. One was the Apple Watch's inability to show me the time. Like, I find, I still find it really annoying that I can't just glance down at my wrist and see the time. I find it really annoying that I have to raise my hand in a way and there is a slight weight. Like, there is still just those milliseconds. I feel it now because I've been used to seeing the time whenever I wanted it because my watch can just show me it. You know, like one advantage that my Apple Watch has over my standard watch is that I can get the time in the dark easier with an Apple Watch, right? That's really nice because my 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 Nomos watch that I wear, I'll put a link in the show notes to my watch in case you're interested. It doesn't have any glow-in-the-dark features, right? So that's, you know, that's one tick up for the Apple Watch. But aside from that, every other time, you know, I feel like I'm waiting. And I, I cannot fathom why Apple have not built a system for an always-on watch face. We've spoke about this so many times now, and I find it really, really weird. Like, it... It is very strange to me that they haven't found a way to do this yet or just for whatever reason have decided not to do this yet. And I think the Apple Watch really needs it because I find it annoying. I find it really annoying that I can't just look. So my hand right now is on my keyboard and I can look down and see what the time is. I can't do that with my Apple Watch. And I find that even more annoying now that I've lived without it for a while. And then, but I always found that to be annoying. I have a new annoyance, which is very weird to me considering how I live my life with the Apple Watch. I find notifications to be frustrating now. This wasn't a thing that I felt before. This wasn't a thing that I felt when I was wearing the watch. But I noticed that if I was busy with something, if my phone is going off, my phone is usually somewhere, right? But I can I can easily ignore it because I'm focused and it's just lighting up or it's, you know, it's behind me and it's buzzing, but it doesn't intrude on me. But the watch is intrusive, intrusive. like it is physically hitting my body, right? Like it is telling me like there is notifications, there's things happening. And I have now noticed that I don't like that so much. Um, I like that I get notifications when I want them more. So basically what I've learned is my old system for receiving the amount of notifications that I would get doesn't work for me anymore. And if I was to wear an Apple Watch again, then I would need to cut down my notification types a lot more. But it was just interesting to me to notice that the way I used to do it, I don't want anymore. And I found that really, really weird. Um, So even with, because I wasn't doing one-to-one monitoring because I set it up the way I always did. But the amount of notifications that was coming to my watch was still too many. So I would need to change that. But it was just something that I found peculiar because this was not how I felt when I wore an Apple Watch for like three years. But for some reason, now I do. Yeah, I had that same thing where um, I set up my new review unit as a new watch and discovered that the default notification settings were not going to work for me. And I had already, I obviously on my other watch, I'd set them that way, but I went back to the defaults and I was like, Mm-mm, 
No, like I I have carefully curated what my Apple Watch is allowed to annoy me with. <laughs> and everything else, I don't want to see it. I, I'm not interested in what it's doing. Yeah, but I found that even my, my previous level of curation does not fit Mike of September 2018 for whatever reason. Um, so look, I super appreciate how much better the Apple Watch has gotten. Like, this is by far the best Apple Watch ever. Like, it is so good. It is so good. It is the first Apple Watch that I've actually, like, lusted after the design of. Like, previously it was like, okay, I like this, but, and which one do I like the most, right? But I was never like, oh my god, I love this thing. But... That gold one, I'm like, I, mm-hmm. I really want it because I find it very visually attractive. Right. But I'm not going to buy it because I, I, I know I'm not going to wear it And I think, I think the edge-to-edge display adds into it, too. When it's, when it's open, right? When it's on, not <laughs> completely blank. Um, it, it is, I think it adds to the attractiveness, especially on 100%. the new faces. That, yeah. that it, it, it's, it's a more full kind of watch experience plus some of the little subtle changes they made in the corners especially making it thinner making it kind of slope down a little bit uh, oh and the back the back is so beautiful it is the old ceramic back like in the previous watches it kind of felt like this just looks how it looks because it has to look this way right like there's just nothing we can do about it we need these sensors this is how it looks there's a weird black circle on it and it's got these big two green dots but now it's like it looks like they spent way more time designing that to to be attractive, right. visually attractive, and I appreciate that too. Yeah, that after four years of working on this, they've in the fourth iteration they were able to really, um, and they had to right for the the electrocardiogram mm-hmm. stuff, but they they redesigned the whole back. They made it ceramic so that it's more transparent to radio waves, which means that it's got better reception. All of these things that go into it, um, but it is it, it is it feels less. Um, curved too it feels less intrusive on my wrist yep. than the old yep. one does i don't know if that's actually true or not or if it's just a factor of the thinness and all of that but it it, it feels less like it's a bulbously pushing they into make my it smaller wrist. like the protrusion is is smaller than it than it was like the, whatever you call it like it, it is the the bulbousness is less the bump the bump, the bump is less the bump the less curvy bump. bump thing yep so i mean you know like Obviously, the I am a big fan of the upgrade from my phone because I got the bigger size, I got what I wanted. But I still think that for people using, you know, if you use an iPhone every day, use an Apple Watch every day, the Apple Watch upgrade is a better upgrade than the iPhone upgrade is. Like I one hundred percent agree with everybody's initial theory about this when they showed it off. Like that, if you are a daily Apple Watch user, this new Apple Watch. Is a, is a very good purchase for you. Like I would almost say, like it is close to how the iPhone 10 was a step up from the iPhone 7 or the iPhone 8. Like in how much of a jump that was in so many different ways. I think the Apple Watch is similar, right? Like it looks amazing. Um, they've given you much more screen. It's way more capable. You know, the battery life is still incredible. The, it's super fast. They've added just niceties, like that Taptic thing. They did not need to add that. They've just added it because it's nice. You know, like in the way that like the stainless steel was nice, right, on the on the iPhone 10. Like I, I think the Apple Watch makes me, is reminiscent of that kind of upgrade for me. It is a fantastic product. Like, and, and if you use one every day, I think you'll be super happy with it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it, it's a really, really good upgrade. Um, the first 
kind of major design change with the screen change and it's 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 nice if you if you have a an older apple watch um i think a lot of people who have stuck with the series zero i keep talking to people who are like oh yeah i, I now's the time because you don't get watch os5 yeah if you still have a series zero and you love your apple watch and you now's can and you have the means you should upgrade like yeah. without i mean and i would say that no matter what one you have you could probably be good with it but especially if you're if you're back down there on series zero like you should you should think about that upgrade all right, let's round out today's episode with some Ask Upgrade questions. But before we do, let me thank our friends over at Pingdom for their support of this show. Pingdom are amazing because they help keep websites online. They keep your site online, the site you love online, because if something goes wrong with a website, you want to be able to get in and fix it. But you want to be able to get and fix it as quick as you can. And that's why you need Pingdom's real-time monitoring and feedback. They will let you know exactly what's going on with your website at all times. Pingdom detects around 13 million outages every single month. That is 400,000 outages a day because stuff breaks on the internet all the time. It doesn't matter what type of website you have, whether it's tiny or whether it's huge, you need alerts about any critical website issues that you have because you just want to know. Pingdom will be able to let you customize how you're alerted. So depending on the severity of the outage, you can alert different people in different ways. And they'll also track and analyze your website's load time as well so you can see what's affecting an experience. And if you've had a patchy time, right, then you can see if the work that you've done has improved it because they will give you those reports. Pingdom have a no-fuss approach to getting started. You just give them the URL that you want to monitor. They take care of the rest. So go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. Then when you sign up, use the code UPGRADE at checkout, and you'll get a wonderful 30% of your first invoice. A thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and RelayFM. All right, so let's go into some hashtag AskUpgrade questions. First comes from Tony Gawa. Wants to know what are your favorite Apple Watch bands? Well, I have a few that I rotate through. They're going to be boring, but I rotate through an orange sport band, which of course they don't make anymore. Yeah, let's just say most of these are probably not made anymore, right? Because the colors are, they change and all that. they change them. Yeah, but an orange sport band, a um, black sport band, which is the classic, and the Nike Plus. Um, it's it's the white with the black dots. Yep. I don't know what that's called, but um, that's actually what I have on right now. But I, I, I mostly rotate through those three. I do have a leather band and a knockoff uh, Milanese loop, but I almost never wear those. It's almost always the sport band. And and then sort of seasonally, I will swap out different colors. I love the sport loops. Um, my favorite is one they still sell, which is the black sport loop. Do not let its name uh, fool you. It is full of tiny little colored pieces of thread. It's a great band. Like, I absolutely love that band. Um, Adina got the gold aluminum watch, and she had one of these uh, sport loops. Looks fantastic, right? Like, it looks really good paired with the, the gold aluminum watch. So, yeah, that's that's my favorite is the black sport loop. Um, and that one is still available. You can still buy that. Um, I'm pleased because that's one that they should keep around for a long time because it is a, that is a great, that is a great uh, Apple Watch strap. 
Um, Kapila asks, I've got a Series 2 watch with uh, OS, watch OS 5 installed. However, the toggle to enable Raise to speak for Siri just isn't there. Does this feature only work on Series 3 and 4 watches? The answer is yes. So this is a new feature yeah. in watchOS 5, where, which I actually think is pretty good, actually. I, I, I enjoyed the feature. You have to get the kind of the distance right. The timing right. Because right. yeah. you, you kind of have to raise it really close to your mouth and you start speaking and you kind of feel like an idiot when it doesn't work. Um, but when it does work, and I found it worked for me pretty much every time I tried it, it's a good feature, but it is available on the Series 3 and above only. And my... Uh, expectation of this is is something to do with the chip right because it's like how airpods don't have the always listening uh ahoy telephone right now i assume it's whatever chips there are in series three and above allows them to do whatever it is that's required to go that one step further from the uh always listening series so yeah series three and above but it is a fun feature do you have you tried that one out yeah, it's all in the timing, and you do feel like an idiot when it doesn't work. But when it does work, it's magic. The first time I did it, it worked perfectly, and I was like, oh, this is amazing. And then the second time, I was like, oh, check this out, and it was a complete failure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you, it is about, like, well, yeah, yeah, timing. You got to lift it and then talk. And I've also had it where I've, I've uh, lifted it and then said something to somebody and been like, oh, no, it's trying to interpret my thing. So it, t- it takes some getting used to, but it is kind of nice to not have to be like, all right, I'm going to hold down the button and talk to the lady now. Yeah, it's 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 better. When you... Once once you get it working right, it is uh, it's useful, and uh, the speaker's louder in the in the series four too. It's a lot clearer to hear what she has to say. Yeah, it's much much clearer. Um, so Camel asks, if you ask Siri to resume Overcast on your HomePod, will it resume your podcast on your HomePod or on your iPhone? All right. So there's a couple of things that need to be mentioned here. So if you just ask a HomePod randomly to resume Overcast, it will just start playing music. But if you set up a Siri shortcut in iOS 12 that um, has, uh, you set it up with some kind of trigger word to resume Overcast, like resume Overcast, if you ask your HomePod to do that, playback will resume on your HomePod, not on the iPhone. This is amazing. This is not how the feature behaved during the beta period. But it is once the HomePod got its update. So if you set up the Siri shortcut, you ask your HomePod to resume Overcast in whatever way you ask it, it will just start playing on the HomePod and not on your phone. Really great. Big fan of that. It's awesome. Dramskovk asks, uh, AirPods don't fit in my ears. What is the best alternative? Is there a real alternative at all? Jason, what is the best alternative for Dramskovk? The struggle is real. Well, the good news is Apple makes another headphone with that, actually several, with that, uh, with the chip that's in the AirPods. And it's uh, what you're looking for is Beats X, not pronounced 10, apparently. Uh, yeah, Beats funny X, that. <laughs> which uh, are um, their earbuds with, I believe you get to select, you know, you can, there are different tips you can put on them and they're connected together. They're not, they're wireless, but they're not, they're connected to each other by a wire. So you Mm -hmm. wear them kind of behind your neck and put them in your ears. Um, but that gives you much more ability to, uh, fit because they have different ear tips that are available. So you can figure out which ones fit your ears. Yeah, it comes with four ear tip size options in the box and also those little wings that you can put on them. So they're like 
hold in place with the rest of your right. ear. So and it has all the same internals, right, as the AirPod does. So yep. that is a good that is a good choice. And finally today, Benjamin asks, if you were starting from scratch today, would you use Dropbox or iCloud as your main file system? I would oh, I don't know. I, I it's it's a hard one. I would probably use Dropbox because Dropbox has a bunch of features that iCloud still doesn't have. Yeah. In terms of sharing, file restoring is a big one for me. Yeah. Like the yep. versioning and stuff. I've used shared folders. I've used upload links because that's one thing you can do that I use all the time for my podcast, which is yep. give people a Dropbox link where they go to a web page and upload their file and it pops into my Dropbox. So that's good. amazing. Um, and I'm a big Dropbox proponent to the point where I just actually upgraded to their higher level that gives me not just more storage, but it gives me that feature where I can sort of download on demand on my Mac. Um, I decided I was going to try that out for a while. So iCloud is way more competitive than it used to be. And depending on how you're using it, especially if you're already paying for iCloud space, it can be a good choice. But that said, I think given how all the different ways I use Dropbox today, I would have to find alternatives if I went to iCloud for a bunch of the things I do and, you know, that Dropbox provides. Yeah, I, I agree that there are just some features where Dropbox saves my butt and iCloud doesn't offer them. And it and it's like that file restoring for stuff that is far in the you know, into history or the versioning, yep. you know, and yep. those power user features, they're things that I want. They're available to me and they've saved me in a bunch of different ways. So I I really really I really like Dropbox a lot and and also just the way it ties into some apps and stuff just the ways that iCloud doesn't and let alone the sharing features being really kind of next level so I would still choose Dropbox I would still choose Dropbox all right so that's it for today's episode if you'd like to send in a question for us at the end of the show just send out a tweet with the hashtag #AskUpgrade thank you so much to everybody that continues to do that week after week we appreciate it greatly if you mm-hmm. want to ask something a little bit more fun a little bit more esoteric you can send in a tweet with the hashtag #SnowTalk. it's a great way to open the show thanks again to Eero and PDF Pen and Pingdom for their support of this week's episode if you want to find Jason online go to sixcolors.com he is on Twitter he is at jsnell um, you can find more of his work at theincomparable.com. And this show is a part of Relay FM. Me and Jason both host many shows at Relay FM. You can go to relay.fm slash shows to find more. Um, if you want to find me online, Instagram is a great place for that. Um, Instagram.com slash iMike. Trying to put more time and effort into there because I enjoy Instagram a lot, Jason. It's, it's mm. a nice place to be. All right. Thank you so much for checking out this week's episode of Upgrade. And we'll be back next time. Until then. Say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you.